0: This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halser and Portia Hensley.
1: Welcome to Episode 19 of Women in a Day podcast. I'm Jenny Halzer and I'm here with my co-host Portia Hensley. And today we have an excellent guest. Portia, can you tell us a little bit more, please? Sure, Melissa Ward was born in New
0: Orleans, Louisiana, and raised as the youngest of three children in Chicago. She attended the University of Southern California on an Air Force ROTC scholarship, as well as academic and athletic scholarships. While at USC, Melissa was a member of the two-time national champion women's basketball team. After graduation, She entered the United States Air Force, where she became the first African-American woman to be an instructor pilot. Melissa left the Air Force in 1992 to pursue a career in commercial aviation. She's currently a captain for United Airlines, flying the Airbus 319 and 320 aircrafts. In 1998, she became the first female African-American to achieve the rank of captain for any U.S. commercial airline. Melissa is also the varsity assistant basketball coach at Dakota Ridge High School in Littleton, Colorado, and she has held this position for the last six years. Melissa resides in Denver with her wife Denise and her twin 18-year-old daughters, Isabel and Annalise. Welcome, Melissa.
1: Thank you. Welcome. Wow,
0: that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: I am old, so, you know.
0: Very famous. So tell us, how did you get to where you are right now? Actually,
2: I got to where I am completely by accident. So I grew up uh, the same way everyone else does. I wanted to be an actress, and then I got realistic. I wanted to be a lawyer, and then I got realistic, (laughs) and then I wanted to be an accountant. And um, I just kind of had the opportunity to apply for an Air Force ROTC scholarship drop in my lap my senior year of high school so I said why not you know apply for every scholarship you can you can always say no and uh, I was lucky enough to get the scholarship and then and that was a full
0: ride that was a full
2: ride the ROTC scholarships are a full ride to anywhere that has an ROTC program so you obviously have to be accepted at that university on your own so I had uh, luckily been accepted at uh, USC where a teammate of mine was playing basketball so Um, I chose to go to USC on that RLTC scholarship. And back then you could actually do the first two years of the scholarship and then walk away with no penalty. So I always thought I'd do the the two and screw program Mm -hmm. as they named it back then and move on with like an athletic scholarship and hopefully walk onto the basketball team and and then just say thanks for the two free years. But To my surprise, uh, I actually got really involved and engaged with the R L T C program. Did
0: you have any military in your family?
2: Nothing besides, you know, the typical, uh, you know, I think for our generation, all of our parents probably served some time in the military during uh, Vietnam. So besides the typical draft, no, there was no uh, military background. In fact, several of my friends um, told me when I... Told them I was taking an RLTc scholarship. They were like, "Don't do it. They'll brainwash you. What are you What are you thinking?" <laughs> uh, so it, it was really kind of a very weird step for me. Um, everyone in my family was very confused that I took an RLTc scholarship, but um, I really took to it quickly, um, which seems weird because I was kind of rebellious. I'm, I don't follow orders very well, but you learn in the Air Force that you know the orders make sense and it's easy to follow them. And pretty soon, you know, when you move up the ranks, you get them you yeah, know, make the order. So it's not that bad. So I was even more lucky uh, that I had a friend on the basketball team who's on scholarship. So Uh, I walked on and made the team as a forward, all five foot, eight inches of me. All the forwards on the team were six foot two and taller. So... What year of college was that? So that I entered USC in 1982. Were you... um, Freshman year. Freshman year. Yeah, freshman year. So, so yeah, literally I just, it was, you know, that was kind of a combination of some good things. I played well when they were recruiting my teammate. So they kind of knew who I was and what I could do and... They also knew that they were going to have trouble signing some good forwards because you were never going to play because our forwards were All-Americans. And the best players in the country, you know, Cheryl Miller, Pam and Paula McGee were on that team. And so, uh, yeah, so they just really needed some practice bodies. And I got really lucky that, um, you know, it's still kind of a joke on the team now that I was a forward on that team and I was probably like only the third tallest girl on the team. I going to say, but the team photo is pretty, pretty, pretty interesting funny. to look at. Yeah. <laughs> I actually always thought I was tall, so, you know, I think it's all it's state well, of five, mind. Well, yeah, 5'8 is not short. It you is know? on the basketball not team. But, uh, yeah, on a basketball yeah. team, yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, we had a girl 6'8 on that team. So, you know, it's it was just, yeah, crazy <sighs> that I that I walked onto that team. And yeah. so, you know, I had the combination of the basketball team and ROTC, which kept me very busy in college. But the interesting thing was that all my ROTC buddies – we're talking about being pilots and it's something i had never even considered in my life it's like you yeah. know sure i mean you, whoever thinks about being a pilot unless you live right by an airport you don't even you don't even think about you. when you're on the airplane you don't even think about the pilots you know so i would listen to them and they would talk about it and i was like yeah it sounds like it's fun but who knows you know i'm an accounting major i'm, I'm gonna go into the air force and be an accountant and you know, or maybe I won't even go into the Air Force. Maybe I'll leave the program. And But the more I stayed in it, you know, I kind of caught the fever and the bug. And I said, you know, it sounds like it'd be kind of a cool career field. Maybe I'll try it. And then my sophomore year, I got an orientation ride it was in a T-33, which they don't even have anymore. And we were, um, in Seattle. And so we flew over Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens and we flew into Portland and did touch and goes. And I mean, the guy was just, it was awesome. It was just amazing. And then, What got me though was when we landed. You know, I was like, "So, what do you do now? Like, what's the rest of your day look like? Do you like go to an office? You got to do paperwork." He goes, "Hang on a sec," and he pulls out this book and he signs his name, closes it, and he goes, "Okay, I'm all done, done for the day." And I was like, "Sign me up!" Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Exactly. Right. You take a little orientation ride for a couple hours, and then you just you're done. So, so that's kind of when I really caught on. But back then, women couldn't be combat pilots, so. Getting a pilot slot out of ROTC was really difficult. That you only—they only handed out ten or less a year uh, to women but you nationwide. Had Nationally. Really okay. good grades. I did right? have good grades. You know, I had really great grades in high school. I—I um, mm. I think back then everybody did because we didn't have the distractions that teens have today. So, um, but in college, my grades were good. I mean, I, they were. I had I the highest you, GPA you, yeah. in the athletic department. But you know, that's—I wasn't you know straight A's in college at all. Okay. Um, in fact, I had to just. Look back at my transcripts uh, recently because my kids are about to go to college and I wanted to temper my expectations <laughs> on what it kind went... of grades they should get. And I, I realized I can't ask for them to do better than I did. And so I did look and I, yeah, I had mostly A's and B's, but I had a, I had a few C's, which like the first time ever in my life to get a C was in college. So hmm. so it did happen and, and they were good. They were good, but they weren't great. So did you get a slot? The interesting thing was the general that's in charge of doing handing out those slots, you know, you have to apply and and put all your criteria down and, and they, you know, they have a stack of them on a desk and, you know, women applying nationally. And luckily for me, the general that was doing the selection uh, process was a basketball fan and had actually visited USC earlier that year and saw me play on the national championship team. So... He was familiar with who I was, so, so you did end up getting playing time too. Yes, I did. I played a little, not a lot. You know, I w- I always like to say I I didn't play basketball at USC. I practiced basketball at USC, <laughs> but I was the best practice player you've ever met in your life because uh, I took a lot of pride in practicing. So, um, but yeah, I did play that game, which was kind of unusual. So I did. I played that game. I played well that game and uh, the general saw it, so it, uh, it really helped. I, I did get some awards in the ROTC program that also helped, but every girl on the desk probably had the same type of awards yeah. or a resume, so the basketball kind of stood out. And so I really, I tell people, I go back and talk to alums all the time at USC when we were um, trying to um, solicit donations for the athletic department, and I tell them, basketball is the reason that I got my pilot slot. And I know people think, oh, you're just saying that to get us to donate money. But it's true. I yeah. mean, it's the thing that set me apart. And that year they handed out nine. And two women at USC got um, or, or nine pilot slots. Nine in the country? Nine in the country. Yeah.
0: Nine pilot slots.
2: Nine women pilot uh, slots. Nine How women? many
0: men do you know Oh, the away? men are,
2: were unlimited. Unlimited. So, yeah. Was
0: it a limit, a cap of nine? They it was,
2: be? well, so if you go to the Air Force Academy then if you're qualified um, physically then you get a pilot slot if you want one so there's no limit at the air force academy oh, okay. but because there are quite a few women at the air force academy that want to be pilots then they limit the they see amount who's of going slots. from that group and then right. based on that then that right. determines what they right so there what must have been a out. lot from the air force academy that year but okay. i think 10 about 10 limit was the average it for the
0: men who were in ROTC did well they? they
2: didn't but you have to keep in mind that What the women could fly in the Air Force at that time was limited, based on the laws of the land. Right. So
0: what could you fly?
2: You could fly transport, you could fly um, refueling aircraft, um, and you could be an instructor. And that's pretty much it. So, so you got a slot. I did. And I got a slot. What, did and that, I, what does it mean to have a slot? Uh, <laughs> uh, for everybody else, it doesn't mean anything to anybody unless you want to be a pilot. And then everybody's like, wow, you got a pilot slot. That's really cool. And what was really great, the one good thing for being a woman and getting a pilot slot is you didn't have to give up your um, scholarship to get it. If you were a man in ROTC and you wanted to be a pilot, you had to give up your pi- your scholarship to get your pilot slot. So that was the exchange so what would they
0: do if they gave up their scholarship
2: pay for college oh wow right so why would they do that just that's the rules of the I guess they wanted to make sure you really wanted to be a pilot I'm not really certain why that was like that and I'm sure it's not like that now but you know that was the rule that if you were on scholarship and you wanted to be a pilot in ROTC you had to give up your scholarship to be a pilot they needed more accountants Right, <laughs> or, I don't know. <laughs> or they wanted r- a, a lot of dedication. So okay. yeah, it was really weird. So we, you know, for the two women at USC that got the slot that year, we were we we felt pretty special because we got to keep our scholarships because we were awarded pilot slots. What so, year in college was that? Were that's a... uh, that comes your junior year. So okay. that's the year where you actually have to sign on the dotted line and say I commit to the Air Force that I will go in and do my. Uh, four-year commitment and now I think it's all the way up to eight or ten but it for us you know we didn't have our pilot slots when we committed so we were went for the women in the program who wanted to be pilots you're like sitting there going am I going to get that slot or not or would I be satisfied being an accountant or you know a, it's
1: four years is a long
2: time you know uh, it is a long time yeah so you know it was it was weird but I mean we all signed it you know i I had a pretty good confidence that I, I had a chance to get a spot mm-hmm. slot, and still, you know, a guaranteed job when you graduate from college—that's gold, especially now. Right. Very so true. yeah, so th- it's not all bad, you know, and so. The best thing about it is no matter what you do in the Air Force, you get paid while you're learning to do it, yeah. where a lot of places won't even hire you without the experience. So you have to do internships and, and work for free to get the experience you yeah. need to apply. So it wasn't all bad, and but it was definitely like you sat there holding the pen a little tight going, I really hope I get my pilot slot. And But I did, and it all worked out really great. So. So you'll find out in your junior year. In your junior year, in the fall. Mm -hmm. Finish up college. And then, um, so graduation day is a really special day if you're in ROTC because you go through your normal commencement ceremonies and then you, all the ROTs, and you're in your uniform. Um, And so then all of the ROTC grads um, have another graduation ceremony where you actually take the oath. Um, to defend the Constitution of the United States. And it's really fun. Yeah, you get your commission. And so you can get um, a, most RLTC officers get a reserve commission because that's what you went through, the training you went through. But once again, a few of us get uh, regular commissions. It's kind of another one of those honor things you earn. So I did get a regular commission. And um, it's one of the best memories of my life because one of my best friends was graduating with me in RLTC. Her dad was a general, and he is the one that swore us in. So oh, that's nice. pretty cool. Oh, that's yeah. very cool. And he also told us, he's like, so I am not going to say a word. You you better know the oath. You're going to take the oath. You better know the oath. So he literally stood up there, and he said, raise your hand, repeat after me. I and he didn't say another word.
0: Oh, that's and, awesome! Oh. And my friend Randy Hemmings and
2: I—we did it together, and we both, you know, we both said our names, and then in unison said the entire oath. I wonder if it's because he didn't uh, want to break down crying. <laughs> no, it's just one of those. He—he's a big-time military man, and just believes that, that you know, if you're, you're going to take end. the oath, you shouldn't have to have to repeat it. Um, you know, so stand on your own two feet. It's in. almost kind of like wedding vows. You know, you should yeah. know those vows <laughs> if you're really gonna take someone. Yeah, so it was, it was really great, it was really great. Yeah. It was really great that you know that he actually um, commissioned me. So cool. Yeah. So Then you graduate. And graduate. You get a couple of months off while you wait for pilot training, which is always fun because you kind of just you feel like you're on vacation. Yeah, like you normally are from college, and then. And then, yeah, you got to drive to some remote place in the country. For me, it was Lubbock, Texas. Because there you know,
0: are different areas where they yeah, do the pilot Yeah, so training. I don't know how many
2: bases there are now, but back then there were, I think there were maybe five. There was one in uh, Arizona, we all in Phoenix. We all tried to get that and, of course, <laughs> never got it. And then there were two in Texas, one in Lubbock and one in... What was that place called? Um, Laughlin is the base. It's Del Rio, Texas, way down south, like near the border. Okay. And there was one in Oklahoma, and there's one in Mississippi, I think, yeah. So Lubbock was the second best of them all, believe mm-hmm. it or not. And mm-hmm. because there's a college there, and, you know, your six-hour drive from civilization wasn't too bad. So, so what
0: but, was pilot training like? I hear... My friend who introduced me to you says it was the worst year of her. Life.
2: <laughs> well, Layla and I, I have different like? uh, perspectives, <laughs> but it was tough. It was tough, and it was weird. Especially, she's right though. As a woman, you, you, there's not a lot of women per class, and and Layla probably had more women in her class because she was in, in an academy class, which had a lot of women because they get well, pilot there were different slots. classes. They just start at different times of the year. Okay. The academy classes all start, um, like, right after graduation. They don't get that time off that the ROCC okay. kids do, so... Uh, so we had to wait for our time while they start right away. So, yeah, oh, this, the academy classes usually start in the summer. And then...
0: Is there a different perception between the people who graduate from the academy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is, we like, call
2: we call academy grads zoomies. And, yeah, we we think, you know, they have a, a saying, cooperate and graduate, which we call them cheaters. You know, that's <laughs> they, they have a different perspective on all of that. And, and uh, they... I would say when it comes to partying, they party a little bit harder than everybody else, but that's because they couldn't in college, and we could. Oh, okay. so I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're they were a little wilder. So and it was funny because I became an instructor, so I really got to know, you know, all of these hmm. lieutenants coming in for training. So you could see the difference. You could totally see the difference. And the other thing was that the other classes, the non academy classes, almost always had some. Um, Folks that were coming in from, like maybe being a navigator, Mm -hmm. or they were doing something else in the military, and then they applied for a pilot slot as well. So you would get someone who was older in your class if you were in, like, an ROTC class. And so there was, it just seemed like people were more mature in that class we would get guys coming in from guard units who they applied and they might be 25 26 years old instead of the typical 21 year old so it really did make a difference when yeah. you had i'm a, sure that would yeah, yeah you have a commander in your class who's you know telling you hey come on guys act like you've been there before so and the academy classes were you know they're all the same age, oh yeah they're coming from the same place it's and a lot of them knew each frontal other
0: frontal lobe is developed a couple years <laughs> yeah. i mean life
2: either that or the alcohol well. you know kills mm-hmm. a few and then you have only a few left to think with and you, you start thinking better. So
1: It is true, though. There's just no substitute for life experience. And, there,
2: there isn't. And, it, it, and it's crazy because, you know, the, so the atmosphere is, uh, it's a, it's a seven-day work week. Um, sometimes it would be five if you were on the timeline and you would get the weekend off. Um, but most of the time, especially in, in Lubbock, Texas, where the winds blow really hard, you would get behind the timeline because there were times the winds were out of limits and no one could fly, so you flew pretty much seven days a week. Okay. And so,
0: so did you only train on the flights that you
2: were qualified for? So there are two. There are two aircraft back at that time that were um, training aircraft: the T thirty seven and the T thirty eight. So everyone enters school; they do a month of academics, and then um, then they graduate to the flying squadron. And then you, everybody starts out in T-37s. You have to be successful and get through that program. It's about five months. And then if you're successful in that program, you graduate to the T-38, which is a faster and more lethal aircraft to fly. And then from there, you six months in that program, and then hopefully you graduate and get your wings. So now it's different aircraft now, but it's the same philosophy. You have to go through these three phases of, of pilot training. So you typically live on base and in, in like, I won't say barracks because they weren't barracks, but they were kind of like little townhomes, I guess, but it's really small. You know, you had a bedroom, a, a kind of a little kitchenette and a living room. And it was a couple blocks from the flight line and you would walk around campus or base with your flight suit on, you know, the entire time. And, Eat, sleep, and drink flying and learning how to fly and, and trying to do the best you can because you were graded on everything you did. And then if you weren't up flying in the air, you were in the simulators doing instrument work there. So it's a tough year. Uh, Layla's not wrong. It's a tough year because you're away from your family, you, there is no time off. Um, and for it an is, entire year. For an entire year. It's a, it's a full Seven year. days a week. Yes. No tough. time off. So, I mean, did you ever have moments? You know, weekends off if the weather was good, but other than that, no.
1: Did you ever have moments where you were like, this is not what I thought it would be? Oh, my God, just, yes. Yeah.
2: Um, the academic portion was pretty easy, but uh, learning to fly was definitely a trait that didn't come naturally to me. So I struggled a little bit in the beginning and, and being, I was the only black in my class. I was the only, I think there were, maybe we started with three women in my class and then I, the, to the other two washed out. So I ended up being the only woman in my class. So it, it, you felt isolated. um, Like it felt like the guys would get together and study together and, and they didn't always include you, but well, yeah, there were times I, I remember there was this dirt road on the on the base, and I would drive down that road to the end of the road. It was near the golf course just to, like, go out there and scream at the top of my lungs, like, I don't know if I can do this. So, yeah. But, you know, I always used to tell folks that when I would get to that moment where I felt like I was just barely hanging on, I would think about the basketball team and realize that playing basketball for Linda Sharp at USC was harder than Learning how to fly. It was. I was like, this is easier than Russian layups. So I, you know, that's kind of, I just like would pull back on that. Like if I can do four years of of playing on a basketball team where I really didn't play that much, I could do anything. So so I drew strength from that.
0: When I was stalking you, I mean researching you, I saw (laughs) a picture of you with your class and you're all in your flight suits. Mm -hmm. And then there you are in the middle of a sea of white men. Yeah. What was that
2: like? Well, it was not to. It was really in. interesting. You know, you fit in in some ways because eventually everyone gets judged on how you fly, not okay. on who you are. Okay. So by the time we were getting to our stride, and I was, like I said, I was not very good. I actually took an aircraft off the side of a runway once in the primary trainer, <laughs> am, which is not a good thing to do. Uh, so every day you would wonder if you came in and if your name tag would still be on the board you know cuz when you wash out they take your name tag off the board and what so what percentage washed out do you think 50% oh well yeah okay. there's no doubt every every class half the class would would wash out They just weren't it's it's a it's a if you had unlimited time we could put everybody through but with the time frame you had yeah you know, half the class was not successful so yeah i wasn't that great student at first and so and people you know they they tend to stay away from you when you're struggling because they're like i don't want don't to want rub to off on me juju. that's right yeah. exactly yeah. it can yeah. be infectious so um but once Separate i started from the herd and <laughs> exactly yeah once i kind of got the hang of it and i did quickly like after after that like one of those first solo flights where i was having trouble with the the braking pedals, which were kind of sensitive, but I got an instructor who really like gave me a whole new perspective on the aircraft braking system, and I was like, "Oh, are you kidding? I totally get it now." Mm-hmm. So then, from then on, I kind of took off, and in T-38s, so when we got to that like that you know advanced phase of mm-hmm. pilot training, I was one of the best in the in the flight, it and just so
0: clicked for you.
2: Yeah, I had a woman instructor, too, and that was the first time I'd ever flown with a woman was when I got to the T38 program, and she was awesome. She just made everything seem so easy, you know. So, yeah, it really clicked, and I love my instructor, and all of a sudden I was the one getting, like, the straight excellence and outstandings on my grades. And then, yeah, all of a sudden everybody loves you because you're like, oh, you can fly. And that's literally, you know, I want to say that in the military, that's one of the few places where racism is not tolerated at all. So it, it's not a, a matter of race. And there and women are, in, are pretty prominent in the military, mm-hmm. maybe not in flying, but they are everywhere else. So people just literally judge you on on your abilities, which would be great if that were true everywhere. Well, it and seems like not. in the military,
1: rank supersedes almost everything else. So if women are allowed to be instructors, like it or not, you learn how to work with women, take orders from women, Absolutely. learn from women. Well,
2: and I mean, you know, and and when you go through pilot training, all you want is a pair of wings. That's, that's it. It's, they're sitting right there and you're like, I want my wings. I don't care what I have to do to get them. Yeah. So it's a different um, philosophy than out in the real world where, you know, your goals aren't necessarily predicated on what someone else thinks of you yeah you know so in this case you're being graded on everything okay. so if whoever's doing the grading you better make sure you impress them man woman black white didn't matter what was more uh, difficult for me in pilot training was uh, I was kind of also realizing that I was gay and that was um, very taboo back then mm-hmm. like so you know not uh, tolerated you could get kicked out for that and so um, that was a really difficult period of time for me because I just didn't know, like, you know, how you didn't to
0: realize you were gay on the basketball team.
2: No, believe it or not. <laughs> Actually, funny. you know, I mean, I, I had an experience my senior year, but I, you know, I didn't know, I mean, college is college, right? You can, yeah. you know, I, I kind of thought I was, but I also knew I was going into the Air Force. So I also kind of thought it was like, okay, that was senior year. That was fun. But now I'm in the military. I got to kind of get serious. Right. And so, and who has time for dating anyway in training, but but then i i met another woman pilot and and realized that i i was like head over heels for her and so it was that was difficult for me to start trying to reconcile who i was with what i was and and so yeah I, you know i mean literally you would go into rooms and look behind pictures to make sure there were no like cameras that kind of wow. that kind of paranoia wow. level wow. was what i experienced so you stayed that year, closeted Absolutely. Were for you able years. to be open
1: with your family or your Never. friends outside the military? No, no.
2: Mm-mm. It was a very quiet time. Like for I years. don't even know for years. I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I finally came out to my mom. I was still in the military, but it so it had been at least five or six years. How did that go? Well, it went well. it uh, she she was very quiet didn't say a word for a long time and I was starting to get panicky. And then she, she said, well, isn't that hard to, to be in, be in the military <laughs> my mom is very logical. You know, she's yeah. a doctor, so everything is very yes, logical. As a matter of her. fact, that is go, really as, hard. A, as a matter of fact, mom, it is. And you know, and she was more concerned about how people would treat me. And right. that's kind of she's always had that perspective for all of her kids. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we had a, a long talk about it. And she was pretty quiet about it for a while. She didn't really talk about it. She didn't want to meet my girlfriends or anything, but she was married um, to her husband, my stepfather, who is like the coolest guy in America. And mm. He and I, um, one time, went on a road trip. I think we all went to Vegas or something, and we were driving there. and And he's he had we had this long conversation. He goes, "You know, your mom is proud of you. She just, she's just nervous about how you're going to be treated." He goes, "But I'm going to tell you now. I don't care how your dad treats you. I don't care how your you know your work treats you. You're cool with me. You know." Yeah, so nice. I always felt like I had that one ally in yeah. my corner. The harder thing was that, you know, how do you have a social life? When you're in the military, and you're not supposed to be gay. Like, how do you find other gay pilots in the military? And you have
1: to put a wall up around, you yeah, know. It's, it's... It's,
2: a, it's a tricky game, you know. How so... did you do it? Was there a special handshake? Or... Yeah. Yeah? No, you know what? <laughs> I have to tell you, after I, had, after I became an instructor pilot and I'd been at... in in Lubbock, Texas for years, I kind of stopped caring. Like, I was like, look, kick me out. I'll go to the commercial airlines, right? Right, yeah. So I was like, you know, it can't be all that bad. So I actually started going to the gay clubs. I mean, I would park my car with my personalized license plates right out front were there gay clubs in Lubbock? There were, yeah. Oh, or maybe one anyway. And you were there? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember nice. the name of it, but most, I went. Honey. Yeah, it's true. You know, and, <laughs> and it was kind of funny, but yeah, I I went and I'm sure I appeared on the wing commander's report of, you know, who was whose cars were at the gay club that weekend that's a thing that oh, was a thing it was back then yeah I'm mm-hmm. sure I was on there every night no one ever said a word to me I was his executive officer so you know I really I was kind of feeling it I was like I I can do anything I want I'm a no one great pilot said I'm the wing commander's exec no one ever said a word but I was well, very discreet awesome. I mean I parked my car out front right but, but you weren't yeah. yeah I wasn't in pride parades or anything so I think that they were like you know what and just because you're parked on the street in front of a gay club we can't do anything about it and you're good at your job i was good at my job i was really good at my job and so you know and i i mean i was i i played sports in the military so i was representing my base at all of these different either basketball or softball events around Mm -hmm. the country and so i guess yeah they let it slide and i didn't care i i and i think that was when i finally like Started realizing that there's a way I can have this other life. I just have to keep it separate from the military. So about how old were you at that time? I must have been you know, twenty-three, maybe. I think I was in Lubbock for four years. So, so, so you young. stayed.
0: You went to pilot training in Lubbock, and then you stayed there yeah, as what, an instructor. What we called it
2: a sentence. Yes. So, wow. um, it was kind of interesting. You, when you're going through pilot training to fly combat aircraft, you had to get um, fighter. Qualified. It's it's a, a almost an award you win, but not really an award. It's a it's a rating that based on your performance. Um, it was actually called FAR Fighter Attack Reconnaissance Qualified. And of course, for the men, it was really important because they all wanted to fly fighters, so they had to get this FAR rating. For the women, it meant you are going to be a destructive pilot because you could not fly fighter attack yeah. reconnaissance. So I, when I got my FAR rating, and I knew I would, I was like, oh boy, they're going to make me an instructor pilot. So when you get close to getting your assignment, you fill out a wish list. It's basically, what do you want to fly in the Air Force? And so you list all the equipment. And it's a long list, oh, like 50 aircraft. And so even without the fighter attack reconnaissance stuff, there were still quite a few renditions because not only did you list the aircraft, but the base as well. So you you could, I mean, put anything. I want to fly a KC-135 in Hawaii. And they're like, yeah, sure, everybody does, right? So it was funny because I thought I'd game the system. So I put T-38 instructor at the top of the list. Then I put every Air Force aircraft in the inventory. And then at the very bottom, I put T-37 instructor because the T-38 was so much nicer to fly. It's just a cool airplane, and the T-37 is like this little dumpy. They call it a 5,000-pound dog whistle. and <laughs> So, you know, it was funny because I... I just assume that they'll see, hey, she really wants to be a T thirty eight instructor, and so of course I got the T thirty seven. So are you serious? Um, wow. In fact, here's it. here's the best story <laughs> of my life. So you know, you go to assignment night, and it's a night with a lot of drinking, and and they make you 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 come up with like a game. For us, we spun the wheel, like as if it were that easy. Like you spin the wheel, and whatever it landed on, you get. But there was someone in the back, of course, who knew what you had, oh, and that's what they hilarious. would do is they're spinning the wheel, and they would go, and then they would stop they on like F sixteen, and then they would go again and oh my god and so you know i ended up getting a t-37 and so then i was like oh boy so you know i i'm like okay i'm getting really drunk tonight because i got the plane the one plane i didn't want and i remember i i went home didn't call my mom sometime why no, do you
1: think that was that you got that? Oh, I know why
2: it was. Okay, because why? The, the commander of the T37 um squadron, you know, there was inter-squadron um athletics okay. on the base and he picked all his instructors based on their athletic ability. So, it's so like a have the ba- thing. It was just like no, he wanted you. He wanted right? me. Yeah. He did want I mean, you know, not maybe not for my flying, Well, my my flying skills were great, but <laughs> he wanted but to be he wanted, buddy. he wanted to win all the athletic events on the base, which so just, you know, then he was right. He should have picked me, but um, <laughs> like... you know, it was i always thought i'd never get it because i took a t-37 off the runway when i was a student i'm like they're never gonna make me in a t-37 instructor oh, but yeah they did pick me and i remember my mom called me the next day and she's like wasn't your assignment night last night and i go yeah it was she's well, what'd you get and i go i got a stinking t-37 there's this long silence and she goes is that an airplane? <laughs> and I said, Yes, Mom, it is. And she said, You told me a year ago that you would fly a kite as long as you got your wings. She goes, It sounds like it's a better thing than a kite. There and you go. she oh, basically told me to stop my pity party and suck it up. Yeah, suck it up. And so I did. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of, he kind of just. permanent. Grin and bear. Yeah, uh, a... it felt permanent. Yeah, <laughs> In Lubbock, Texas for four years. But, you know, it actually ended up being great. Um, yeah. The T 37. I think the T-37 pilots were better pilots because you're flying with people who know absolutely nothing about flying. So you're really doing the true instructing. Yeah. Um, and the instruments were not as good in the T-37, so you really had to learn how to read them to fly in weather and instrument approaches. And so uh, almost every T-37 pilot will tell you there, you're, you're a really good pilot because The instruments were so antiquated. So, yeah, yeah, so it it ended up being really great, you know. In hindsight, it it was a lot more fun, but, you know, it's hard to tell a 22-year-old, you know, hey, no, you're really getting the better end of the deal. You'll appreciate it in four years. It's hard to see the long game when you're 22, no matter what. Right, exactly. So, So what happened after that? So I ended up, you know, doing my time there, and then it came time for a second assignment. And as the wing commander's exec, I pretty much... He pretty much said, what would you like to do? And still couldn't fly combat. So I selected a C-141 in Charleston, which was about the nicest follow on assignment you could get. And uh, packed up my bags and went out that way and flew the, the second largest aircraft in the inventory. So I went from the smallest aircraft to one of the largest and Is there that, a
0: lot to learn. It,
2: it's to it's like it? another I, I want to say the training was maybe three or four months and yeah you learn another airplane and it's 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 just like learning anything you just have to kind of commit yourself to it yeah. And that training was in Altus Oklahoma, another lovely garden spot. But yeah, it worked out great. Charleston was fabulous. I loved Charleston. And yeah. if I had stayed in the military, it would have been a great place to have a career. In fact, I almost bought my first house there. And then I found out there was an early out program. So I was like, well, maybe I should apply and see if I can get out instead of staying in for the, an extra five years. And I did. I got lucky I got out and got hired by every airline I applied to. So really? wow. yeah, you know, Why it was, I chose United because uh, they had the best percentage of minorities uh, as pilots. They hmm. they clearly were making a concerted effort to recruit and hire minority pilots whether that be women or racial minorities.
0: You were ready for a little diversity by then.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you meet, you would, you know, you network just like you do for any job. So I went to conventions and and met the pilots that were all at all the different airlines and they're all fabulous. They're all fantastic and you know, but when it came down to it, United just seemed to be the crown jewel for all of those reasons and and the fact that every United seemed to be the name brand that everybody knew as well. So, yeah. so yeah, I got lucky um, on my on my choice to go to United. It worked out well. And I won't I won't be facetious. American was obviously a great airline to go to as well. Um, but at that time, the time to upgrade to captain was something like fifteen years, and at United, it was five. So there was a business decision there as well, and that's well, it's it's cyclical with the airlines. Okay, it just depends on who's there at the time and and how many you know whether we're moving up or moving back based on the uh, economy. So um, you know, at United right now, the upgrade to captain is for the last few years it was probably over twenty years, and now it's down to five or four because guys are starting to retire. Okay, so there was a big big contingency of pilots that were all approaching 60, but, you don't know, retired to 65. And so because we were so top heavy with all of those older pilots, there was just no movement mm-hmm. for upgrade. And now they're all we're retiring pilots at a rate of about 500 a year, where wow. some other airlines might not be retiring that many. So it just really depends on okay. when people were hired. So that was another reason to go to United. But the biggest reason was... Because you wanted to be a captain, you knew. Everybody wants to be a captain. I mean, when they get hired, they do. They might change their mind during their career, but everyone wants to be a captain. American actually requires you to upgrade to captain. I don't know if they still do, but they did back then. Um, United, you could be a first officer your entire life if you want. You could be a second officer your entire life if you want. Of course, so what we don't is have this? second officers anymore. But
1: what's the significance of a captain? And yeah, the,
2: uh, I mean, I'm assuming obviously better schedule, better pay. No, not no? necessarily better pay, definitely, but not necessarily better schedule. So the way it works is when you get hired by any airline, you get a seniority number. Okay. You know, it's basically you know you're the first guy to hire, you're number one. Mm-hmm. You were the tenth guy hired, you're ten, and they update them every year as people retire. So that, you know, you move up. But I remember when I got hired, I was like 7,808. I okay. know, that was my seniority number. And so wow. I know it's not weird. Something yeah. to work with there. We now have over 12,000 pilots. So that's pretty, I mean, that's kind of amazing how much we've grown. What's your number now? 2,959. Okay. That's amazing that you remember. That's a really important number. And that number, that, really. that number yeah, moves sure on, on, on a stuff. monthly base. We used to only update it once a year. And now with the technology, it's actually updated every month. And the only reason I know that is because there was a bid out last month and I was trying to see it, where I would rank if I were bidding a new aircraft. And so I'm now eligible to fly 777-Captain. So I'm not going to do it, but is that the
0: pinnacle of captain?
2: It's the highest paid, yeah. Oh. So now it's so not the pinnacle because there's a 787 the that's probably nicer to fly, mm-hmm. but they pay the same. So as far as pay goes, that's uh-huh. the highest I can make in my career. Why don't you want to do it? I don't like international flying. Okay. Not anymore. I used to do, you know, I did it in the military for, on the 141 and it was interesting, but the flights are really long. That's a long time to be on an airplane. I like takeoff and landings, yeah. so that's going to be the smaller airplanes. I want to do it like two or three times a day. And I like being home. So, you know, on a domestic flight, you're gone maybe a night or two nights, and you're right back at home. Yeah. On an international flight, you could be gone for seven days. Yeah. So wow. I just, everyone kind of finds their niche and, you know, settles down. So I, I just like being domestic pilot so but it's nice to know i could hold triple seven captain and uh, i'm lucky because i'm an evaluator at our flight training center so we actually get paid what we can hold when we're instructing so i instruct six months out of the year so for six months out of the year i actually i just got a pay raise because someone junior to me bid it. So I'm like, thank you, I appreciate that. So that's how I know my seniority number. Oh, that's great. I Most people would say, oh, I'm about 3,000, I'm about 4,000. They oh, probably God. don't know it exactly, but. Okay. So when you get hired, you get a seniority number and then everything is based on that. What, what you wanna do in your life, in your career is up to you based on your seniority number. So you start out as a first officer on something small, 737 or the Airbus, like I fly. And then from there, you can decide to become senior on the airplane you're on, which means better schedules, better vacation uh, awards. Or you can say, nope, I'm going to move to the next biggest airplane, which is better pay, but maybe not necessarily a better schedule. Because every time you move to either a new airplane or a new base, then you know, you're ranked within that small area that you're in. Oh, okay. And so if you're the most junior person on that airplane in that base, then you're probably on call. That's so the schedule you okay. get is, you've got 12 days off, but every other day you're on call 24 hours a day. So it's called reserve. Nobody likes reserve because you have absolutely no control over your life. You don't yeah. know where you're going, when you're going. Um,
0: how often do you get called? Is it guaranteed?
2: Well, you get called any time a trip opens and a trip trips open at a constant rate. They do. I mean, think about it, you know, people call in sick, an airplane gets stuck somewhere, yeah, so, so it's now get you, delayed. Need to, you need to replace it with another airplane, uh, an airplane breaks, the 737 can't do it. They put an Airbus on it. So yeah, it, it changes constantly. Like we actually, my, my watch will buzz with how many open trips there'll be on a particular day. And I mean, just like for today, there were I. There's already been like seven for today, for just captains in Denver on the Airbus, just on my airplane. And are there enough people on call? Sure. Or what they'll do is, if they're not, then they basically post it as a um, overtime trip, so you can get paid sometimes double it's an incentive um, to absolutely and everybody's that. looking for that so
0: so you only I thought this was interesting you only get paid when you leave the gate
1: that's when
2: your your right, time yeah. starts. all that time beforehand is free that's, that's why crazy. you get paid so much so an you're hour. just as frustrated having to wait as everybody in the back uh, of the I wouldn't say I'm just as frustrated you know <laughs> I but it, you know yes you get paid from the time the door closes and door closes. and you release the brakes to move the aircraft um, until you get to a, the new destination and you set the brakes and open the door.
0: So there's an incentive to get stuck on the runway.
2: <laughs> no, or there's no, stuck out no there. one likes to be stuck out there. You know, um, and there's an FAR, uh, there's a law that says you can only sit on the tarmac for so long before you have to return to a gate. You can't hold people Parked prisoner so forever you, <laughs> so say,
0: say you you're out on the tarmac and then you have to come back are you getting paid and then you're not getting paid and then you're getting paid
1: right or not? yeah they, oh, wow. they calculate I saw that episode everything. of 30 rock with matt damon where he decides to hold the passengers prisoner because he's like they're complaining too much and Hell, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know and here's some crazy stories so back in the day back way before 9-11 one time, a, a aircraft was stuck on the tarmac waiting to go to Chicago, of course, because that's where all the delays are, and, and the people were getting hungry, and there was no food on the plane, and so the captain called on the radio down to operations, ordered pizzas for everyone on the plane, and they delivered it through the window, the the flight deck window. It's just That's big enough awesome when it's thing open. To do. And he and he passed them back and everybody had like a couple slices of pizza and he just said it's on me. You yeah. know, and, and uh, because he didn't want to have a riot on his hands. He was a hero, you know. So yeah. but that was back in the day when you could hold people prisoner. And you didn't want to go back to the gate because you were probably in line, and so right. you're, you place. don't want to lose your place in line to, sure. to get off the ground. But, yeah, these days it's a little bit more calculated. And I'm actually, as a captain, you were asking, like, the difference between a captain and a first officer. A captain's in charge once you leave the gate. And so you make all the decisions. And if you're a good captain, you make them with the input of your crew, yeah. which means not only your first officer but your flight attendants as well. But you still get to make that final decision. So What
0: kind of decisions are you making?
2: Well, like one of the times we were delayed for weather and so everyone was on the airplane and and then and once once people are on an airplane, the gate agents don't want them off, mm-hmm. you know, even if the door's open. Well, we're not getting paid. My flight attendants aren't getting paid to babysit people, so okay. Angry
1: people, too. Well, they might
2: be frustrated, Frustrated. yeah. So, you know, what I did, I I told them, I said, folks, you're going to have to all get off the airplane. We're not going. You know, Chicago's closed. So when Chicago opens, I'll let you get back on and we'll go. I go, there's food out on the concourse. There's good bathrooms and there's air. And You know, so you all need to get You know, I said, you're not going to like me, but you all need to get your stuff and get off my airplane. And I, I make a lot of announcements as a captain. I'm not the kind that annoy you when you're in flight, like when you're trying to sleep, but I do make the announcements when things are going weird. Because I think people care more about knowing what's going on. Even if it's not good news, they want to know the news. So, and that's what I promise them. I go, you know, you may not like what I say, but I will always say something. You will always know what's going on. And so that day I boarded the aircraft three times. I deplaned it twice before we finally got a chance to take off and go to Chicago. And it was, the funny thing is the flight was Omaha to Chicago. So the folks probably could have driven there in the time it took us with the delays. and. You know, I, I spent time showing people the weather radar and why we couldn't go and why it looked so dangerous and why Chicago was closed. And when I finally got to Chicago and people were getting off the airplane, one one guy asked me to marry him because <laughs> he's like, you just handled that so well. I just oh, want you to marry me. And oh, I go, wow, sweet. sorry, thank you. I'm already married. <laughs> I appreciate the offer. And, you know, so it was really great because you make those decisions and you want to do such a good job that even when, in the worst case scenario, when people are late by six hours and they've missed their flights mm-hmm. or they've missed their appointments, the reason they were fine in the first place, or they're just late getting home, you want them to feel like the experience was good, as good as it could have been for that day. And sure. so that, that's, that's the kind of things I do, but I do, I make those decisions that aren't popular and I do it to back up my crew or it, I do all, it because like the it's the right you thing. you weren't getting paid. Not, Not the time while we were waiting, no. Wow. So we only essentially got paid the hour, you know, to to go there. There are some other rules in the contract that protect your pay. But, yeah, essentially we didn't get paid six hours for... For that one flight, no. That's crazy. What so, other
0: industry has
2: that? I know. Not, well, but well, you know, the I, hourly rate for pilots is pretty high. So you right know, know, now, what's going on with our government? Lots attendants. of people are working for free. So. Yeah, and USA sometimes you have to work for free to, I think, to do the right thing. Yeah. So. So
0: you do you decide about the weather,
2: or is that a, so? You there's a dispatcher. So the dispatcher and the captain jointly um, agree to fly the aircraft. So. Okay. So up until the point where you release brakes to push the aircraft, the dispatcher says, you know, this is what you need. And then even when you're flying, the dispatcher can call you up and go, hey, I don't like the weather. I don't like the weather where you're going, so I'm gonna give you an alternate. And and they, they're really an, an incredible resource while you're flying. Mm-hmm but they're sitting in a nice leather chair in Chicago right. while you're actually out there in the bad weather. So, How many planes are they in charge of? Uh, so I would say a dispatcher probably has anywhere between, uh, they could have one depending on the time of day in the city pair, but they typically are handling somewhere around 20 to 40 flights each. Wow. So, and they all sit in this really awesome uh, operation center in Willis Tower in Chicago, great view of the city. and So they're all in one place. All in one place, and, and they're, they're operating, dispatching aircraft all over the world. The world, uh huh. Twenty-four wow. hours a day, three hundred sixty-five days a That's year. An interesting. Job. That is. It is. It's a very, it's a tough job. It's Tell a tough us job. Tell about
0: the weather. This is what I'm interested in because we're flying through um, inclement weather sometimes, okay. and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. But some weather is a big deal. What What would you not fly through? I'm never.
2: Interested. I would never fly through a thunderstorm or even close to one. So you know, and you have haven't you? No, you fly around them, but you, you do don't fly, fly through the them. Because of lightning
0: or because of what? Because
2: of everything. It's yeah. it's bad for an airplane to fly through a thunderstorm. So there's in the military, they have a phrase, there's no peacetime mission that requires the penetration of a thunderstorm. It's dangerous. Yeah, really. Up, updrafts, downdrafts, lightning, hail. Because um, you've
0: never, I I've, I've haven't, I'm sure you have heard of a plane crashing because of
2: weather sure in fact an airbus just crashed I think about a year ago is they tried to outclimb a thunderstorm and thunderstorms grow very quickly and essentially they ended up losing the ability to fly because they got too high and too slow trying to outclimb the this thunderstorm what they should have done is turn around and gone back and it can short
1: circuit your it can sea. do everything i mean yeah. it's
2: just terrible i mean even the air france that crashed over the atlantic was they were in a thunderstorm and that was kind of how it all started that's not why they crashed but but it was the thunderstorm in the first place and so there is never a situation where you would be surrounded by thunderstorms and be right in the middle like the eye of a hurricane that can't happen yeah you're coming up on it you see it if you can't get around it you turn around and you go back that's i feel like i've been in a thunderstorm You've been in showers. You might have been even with
0: in... lightning and sure, sure. You've like, ah, been
2: close, but not, not in a thunderstorm, really. it, because mm-hmm. it looks closer than it is. But unless you had some questionable decisions made by your pilots, sure. but I don't find yeah, that near not...
1: death experience, and you didn't even. <laughs> yeah, you know you we shouldn't. shouldn't. One Hopefully, time that's not what my it was. roller derby team,
0: and the, pl- the plane was going up and down. We put our helmets on. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I would have loved a picture of that. that would so be great. you
1: mentioned when we were chatting earlier that you just recently flew with another black pilot, I, a female the, pilot, female black pilot. woman. Yeah. yeah,
2: I did. It took. I've been a captain for twenty years, and um, so I saw her coming through pilot. Uh, you know, our new hire class, uh-huh. and I went up to her and I went, "I what do you what What airplane are you getting?" And she said, "I'm going to be flying the Airbus." And I go, "Oh my God, I am doing your um, your checkout on the airplane." You, you've got to call me and ask me to do it. And yeah. she's like, I would love that. And she actually came from Frontier, so she already knew how to fly the Airbus. So it was going to be a real easy checkout to begin with. So that's always good. But yeah, I just, I was so thrilled, you know, and yeah. it was funny because there were a couple of black women at this event uh, where the the new hire class was coming in. And I started commenting about, hey, I'm going to take Trisha out and we're going to be the first black, all black woman. Flight crew at United, and and one of the other women was like, "No, I'm going to go fly with uh, Captain Claiborne, and I'm going to we're going to be the first uh, first crew." I go, oh, "You better race, you better get it done because her her check ride's coming in November. So what what are you going to do?" And I thought for sure that my friend was going to go fly with this other black woman captain at United, but they never got it done. So yeah, we were, and we took a lot of pictures and said, "United, I think United is going to uh, do a story probably during Black History Month about it." Mm. How yeah. many black
0: women pilots are there at United? I don't know the exact the number, industry? but I'm going
2: to take a guess. It's right around 15. Wow. Yeah. Out of 12,000. Out of 12,000 pilots, yeah. How about women? What's the percentage? Uh, 7.3%. United just did a like an inventory like Why six months it ago. Why is so low? Well, I think it's low because it's just an unusual career field. There's not a lot of exposure to it. Just like I was saying, I never knew anything about being a pilot until I actually joined RLTC. So unless you know a pilot, you don't get exposed to it. So it, it doesn't even come on your list of things I want to do in life. Right. And then even when it does, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to travel. I don't wanna I want to wear a uniform. And you know, I want to have a family. I want to be home, which you can do as a pilot, but you have to manage it. And there, I mean, I would say there are a lot of the women that fly commercially have a family. Yes so they just have to manage it well yeah. and so in fact um the black woman that i just flew with she has uh, two young kids one of them is only i think 18 months old she was actually still breastfeeding
0: wow. so
2: yeah which was unusual because that's a that's a whole new concept of But i of, bet she has a partner she actually is not no, she she's is a, single a mom? she is a divorced woman oh, wow, uh that's hard and she yeah. has a nanny, yeah. Oh, yeah. And about five million nanny camps around the house. She told me <laughs> that she watches the the films I'm, at I night. She it's, has a good crew, yeah. Cause that's, yeah, that's a, it's awesome it's hard. tough. Yeah, it's. I mean, she's she's managing it, but you yeah. manage it. You it's just like anyone else does. It's it's just like any other job when you're going to work and you have to find a nanny or, or a daycare. You, every you, you just do it. You have to do to have your family, but I do think that's why. Uh, it's it's um and it's also a uh, you know male dominated career field and there are a lot of women they're like, you know there are better career fields to do that are not male dominated so yeah um but the other thing too is it's expensive so to even get qualified to get in a position that I'm in, you've got to get all your licenses. that's about a fifty thousand dollar training session. It takes several years of your life and then then you've got to get experienced to be able to get hired by a major airline, which means you've got to get an instructor job and then eventually hired by a commuter or fly corporate. You have gotta find a job somewhere in military and then once you get the required time then you can apply and, and maybe the airlines aren't even hiring. Yeah. Now I say that, but then in the next five or six years they're predicting a pilot shortage. Okay. So they'll be recruiting heavily. Are um, they
0: recruiting actively recruiting women?
2: Yes, they're actually
0: recruiting everyone. So, but are they trying? Do they realize that seven percent is not acceptable?
2: Well, I think that United will tell you. By the way, that seven point three percent is the highest of any commercial airline in the U.S. Wow. So we, What's the we're doing average, it better. Do you think it's like four percent? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a sliding scale. I've seen the the graphs of all the airlines, but I would say the average is right around 4%. The So United's doing a great job, and we have a fantastic woman who's our um, pilot recruiter, head of our pilot recruiting department. And so we interface um, with three professional organizations. Um, actually, maybe more. There's probably more, but I know three large ones. One of them is the Organization of Black Airline Pilots the other one is Women in Aviation, and the third one is the National Gay Pilots Association. We probably also are affiliated with uh, like a Hispanic Pilots Association and an Asian American Pilot Association, but they're not as large. And so United's a big sponsor of all those organizations. We go to their uh, events and uh, recruit actively. Nice. And we also do our own recruiting. So we actually. We'll look at our applicant pool and we'll look at the top candidates and we'll invite them to our training center to be recruited. Like we we know that they're going to be hired by a commercial airline somewhere. We want them to come to us because they're at the top of our list on our grading scale.
0: Do they ask you specifically to help because?
2: Oh, yeah. I get emails all the time from the ones that I interact with. So it's, it's not something we do. That way we don't, you, it's hard. You don't write a letter of recommendation for someone you haven't flown with or that you don't know personally. Okay like, uh, you know, someone that where you can say, I really vouch for this guy's character. So you either vouch for their flying skills or you vouch for their character or you vouch for both. But you can't just say, oh, you want to be a pilot in United? Let me write you a letter of recommendation. That won't happen. But does United ask you to help recruit people? Actually, I just got hired um, in the pilot recruiting department as an interviewer. So I've been asked to, I've gone to the National Gay Pilots Association convention in the last couple of years to help recruit um, but now I'm going to get a more permanent position, is which that is a
0: large organization.
2: The national and GPA, yeah, NGPA really? is huge. Really? Yeah, you'd be amazed how many gay pilots there are in the U.S. Which is really great. It's kind yeah. of a nice feeling, and they're that they're not just commercial aviation. Some of them are private, um, and some of them are military. But yeah, it's a pretty big organization. And I think it's might even be bigger than the black organization, actually. Really? Yeah. But it's interesting to look at
1: those percentages industry-wide, too. So you take something like air travel in general, and you start looking at what's the percentage of female or minorities in baggage handling or, you know, mechanics. And I think it's really, so 7%. But I bet once you start looking
2: around at the industry. Yeah, I I would say the only part of the industry that's higher is probably flight attendants. Yeah. And maybe our our customer uh, service agents. Yeah. Probably higher percentage percentage. there. But, you know... And I I will say that United's got a lot of women as executives, so it's not – it doesn't permeate the higher levels of the company. It's Mm -hmm. just – it's the skilled jobs and it's just the exposure. So we we try our best. I do do career fairs and I go to high schools and bring my uniforms and all my little – airplane models and try That's and great. recruit them I I make them all try on a jet you know one of my my airline jackets and take a selfie and nice. I go you can't do the job unless you can see what you look like in the uniform yeah. and you know but still it's it's just it's it's cost prohibitive you have to really find a you have to have a love to do it and you have to really find a way to do it and it's or hard for the military the military is actually That's, something I recommend like a great yeah one. if you really want to be a pilot and you can't afford it you should go to the military the air national guard to be specific is the better route in the military but yeah anything in the military you know get paid while you're learning to fly yeah. that's the idea mm-hmm. no one in your family had a
1: military background really or, None. A, or a pilot background None. but you know your family was very supportive of you and your mom just sounds like she really no
2: my mom's is an incredible she's woman she's incredible she you know so she was the first black woman uh, to graduate from the University of Chicago Medical School. And so I just remember when she became a doctor and I was in high school because she didn't go to medical school till I was six. And I'm the youngest of three. So she graduated uh, from medical school. She? I think she was about, th- well, let's see. She was exactly 35 years old when she graduated from medical school because I was 10. And so, um, so she's older and... You know, I remember that, like, one of the her first really great purchases after she got settled was um, she bought a, um, a 911 Porsche, uh, the white um, turbo one. You bet I, she I did. I think, it was, I think it was convertible, too. She had a blue Porsche before, but then she got the 911, so it was definitely the one that yes. the top came down. And she would be driving that thing down... Um, Lakeshore Drive in Chicago and everybody would be like, there goes Dr. Ward. I mean, everybody Uh knew her car. Everybody knew her, you know, now that we're older, I think she has delivered practically every baby that all of my friends have ever had. Um, so they all know her. And so, I mean, there were very few women, um, OBGYNs in Chicago during that time. So, you know, when there started to become OBGYN, female OBGYNs, every woman wanted to go to one. So she became incredibly popular. And, you know, the thing that I think is the best though, I mean, because, you know, a lot of people have successful moms, but for me, it was the fact that my mom started a career field in medicine, like working with, I remember working with lab rats and mice because I remember going to the lab when I was young. And one day she woke up and she goes, i I want to help people. And this is just, this is like too long of a game for me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cure, finding the cure for something that's going to take my entire career to do the finding the cure of one thing. Yeah. She goes, I want to help people now. So she just changed and said, I'm going to medical school. I may have a doctor, you know, oh. at 31 years old. And what did that do for you? Oh, my God. I don't remember anything changing. My mom did everything. She, like, still made dinner or at least prepared it and told us how to, you know, Heat it cook it. Yeah, you know. She still did the laundry. I remember her falling asleep on her feet doing laundry while she studied. And, you know, she – nothing changed for us. I mean, she did – she was just – it was unbelievable, I think, um, how hard she Was she a role she model, though? Was she? I mean, oh, well, for everyone, not just for me. I mean, that. you know, she told me, though, there's, you can do anything you want in your life, and the only thing you can't do is quit. And so, and not only for, I mean, she was she was the role model for everyone. I mean, the entire neighborhood. So that was back in the days where you played with the neighborhood kids, and mm-hmm. any parent in the neighborhood could parent you. You know, yeah, they could they could give you a beating if you did something <laughs> wrong. I and mean, I probably got my fair share, but it was it was a, definitely a neighborhood concept. And she was the role model for everyone, not just the kids in the neighborhood for for the adults. Everybody okay. was like, "Oh my God, I you're going to do this? We want reach, we're cheering for you." That's you know, cool. it is and it's great. And and now we women are doctors now all the time, but it it all depends on when it's done. You know, and so it's just pretty incredible that people still, you know, I I meet people and they're like, your mom's Dr. Ward? Oh my God. I, she's, you know, she delivered my kids. And I mean, I will meet people all the time. Does she still work? She doesn't. She retired when my kids were born. So, so she'll be 80 next year. Um, and it was funny. I, she has an Apple watch. She got one for Christmas. She was all excited (laughs) about it. So helping her with her Apple watch and she's telling me that my girls went over the other day and asked if they could borrow some money and i was like that's weird they didn't ask me for money she goes well it's not between it's between me and them they're gonna pay me back well i found out why they borrowed money because they went and got tattoos um, and they didn't want us to know uh-huh. now we all have a family tattoo we all have the same tattoo on our wrist but they went and got a tattoo on their arm and it came out a lot bigger than what they expected so but Oops. it was funny they did this all in secret <laughs> but my mom was the one that gave them the money for it and, I and just she think, knew what it was for she did not but I, oh. I, I have not let her live that down though I'm like that is <laughs> I you bought my kids a tattoo I go I can't believe you supported them on that tattoo she was so funny she was the look on her face it was it was. Classic. Classic, right? oh grandma but, but and that was and you know they were they <laughs> love her and i mean they they still go down anytime they're injured of course they have to go and ask her you know what's this rash and, and uh, my leg hurts and is that normal oh, that's and, awesome so i mean and she still you know like you know diagnoses them and tells them if they need to go to the hospital or not and and, I mean, everyone is like that. Everybody, if you come to a party at our house, everyone's hanging out around my mom, you know. Yeah. She's just that person. She's just really fun. That's great. And, yeah, so I think that she's a great role model for anyone who knows her, you know. And and if you don't know her, you, you're missing out. So yeah. lucky to have her. Yeah, that. that's
1: super lucky. So yeah. unfortunate. What's so you get told us some advice that your mom gave you, but what's what's some other good advice that you've gotten that you feel has helped you?
2: You know, I got a, there were two things that I got. One was in college, um, because I'll never forget my first C ever in my life. It was on a test in oceanography, and I was like, I don't get C's, what the heck? You know, and I was like, <laughs> I don't miss class, I take notes, so I went to the professor. And I told him that. I go, I don't get C's. I go, I go, I graduated third in my class. I got one B in high school and it was in dance and I regret taking the class. I go, so I have had all A's in my life. You have to tell me, you know, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I'm in every class. I take notes. And he said, you have to copy your notes. And he goes, because when you first take your notes, you're just, you're just keeping up with what I'm saying. He goes, you're not really absorbing it. He goes, so I recommend you go home. And he goes, copy your notes into a book. And so that I said, okay, sense. and I copied my notes, and I got an A on the next test. And I have used that through life, wow. learning how to fly. I copied all my notes. That repetition. The repetition really makes thinking. think and I, And as a high school coach now, I tell all of my girls that are graduating, I tell every uh, college student that I encounter when I'm doing a lecture or anything I tell them the same thing. This is the way to get good grades, better grades. I told my kids too, but they ignored me.
1: But... You need to get somebody else to tell your kids. Right. Find another mom
2: to... Yeah, or I read maybe... this great thing
1: online about yeah, how to study. <laughs> I've tried all
2: of that psychology with them. They're just uh, stubborn with me. But I hopefully they'll remember it in college. I'll probably keep repeating it. But yeah. it really does work. It works on everything. It works for anything you're trying to learn. You have to... You can't just read it once or take notes once. You have to do the, you have to write it again. And then the second piece of advice I got from a colonel once when I was a first lieutenant in the uh, Air Force. And he was a white guy, but he said, um, he said, you know, I got to tell you something. He goes, and I hope you're not going to be offended. And he goes, but he goes, being a black woman pilot in the Air Force, he goes, you're kind of unique. And um, I, he goes, there are going to be several times in your life that you're going to apply for like a job or position or an award. He goes, and you're not going to get it. He goes, and I'm going to tell you the only reason you're not going to get it is you're a black woman. He goes, that's the reality of it. He goes, but he goes, the other side of that, there's going to be times where you apply for those same positions. And he goes, and the only reason you're going to get it is because you're a black woman. He goes, so here's the kicker. You have no control over how it happens. He goes, but what you can control is always being qualified for whatever you apply for. So if then if anyone ever says, hey, you only got that, that promotion because you're a black woman, you could say, maybe, but I deserved it. Right. And he said, so as long as you know you deserve it, you never have to worry about why you got it. And so he said, you have to always, he goes, you're going to have to work twice as hard and, and be twice as good. He goes, but he goes, it, it'll always be worth it in the end because no one can ever say, you didn't deserve it so mm-hmm. that was like the best piece of advice i've ever got in my life that's that is cool. and it works true. everywhere yeah no it's very true it is
1: well thank you so thank much You're welcome. please thank go you. to our website women in a we'll have some photos of melissa doing all her amazing things that will get you motivated and inspired you can also find us on instagram women in a day podcast and facebook also don't forget to go in
0: and give us a rating if you like this podcast it helps boost the visibility of the podcast and we really appreciate it thank you very much to tony tarbucks our editor and to Hilary blair who does our introduction and mostly to melissa ward thanks. thank you
2: thanks a lot